All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started, you guys. Um, let's pray. Uh, dear God, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for a time that uh, we could come up on the mountain, God, that we could just kind of share um, with other brothers and sisters who are in the trenches uh, in youth ministry. Um, God, I pray that this time that we have right now, uh, that it would be profitable. As we talk about these kind of common pitfalls, common mistakes um, that uh, that we all make at some level or another, God, I pray that you would just help us to um, to fight against them, to be faithful uh, in the way that we do ministry and the way that we serve you and your church. So, Father, just be with us in this time. Guide us by your Spirit uh, that we might bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, um, yes, I think the title of this is Five Potential Pitfalls in Your First Five Years of Youth Ministry. And I said that it's not really just first five years, but maybe that made it sound more interesting. Um, but th- these, are, these are pitfalls, mistakes that we can all make. And I will say to different degrees, I've made all of them. Um, and so just a, a little background on myself. I know I said it uh, this morning, but... Um, my name's Aaron. I serve as a pastor. I'm actually primarily over children's ministry, uh, but serve as a pastor down at a church in Kingsburg, California, which is just about an hour and a half down the hill, uh, just south of Fresno, little farming town down there. And uh, been there for about three years. Before that, I spent four years up here on the hill serving as the wagon train camp director, then also in spiritual emphasis and outdoor education, um, as well as helping out in all kinds of different areas around camp, because that's what you do at camp. And so I spent four years up here on the mountain uh, getting to serve in this ministry. Before that, I was a youth pastor over junior high and high school in my hometown of Bakersfield, uh, and uh, had been serving there for a number of years, and also at a a church when I was in seminary down at Talbot uh, at Biola, so uh, SoCal kind of area. So I've served in youth ministry in either a, um, a volunteer capacity during my undergrad time, in a part-time capacity during seminary as a, a full-time uh, pastor uh, in pastoral ministry for years, and then up here in kind of a parachurch ministry, and now once again in the local church. And so that's been kind of my um, trajectory in youth ministry for the past 15 years or so. And so um, I've had a lot of time to make uh, a lot of the mistakes that we're talking about. Uh, and so uh, my, my heart in this is uh, just that we would look at some of these things, some of these traps that I think are easy to fall into. We'd be able to assess our own ministries, our own uh, lives, and say, is this something I'm in danger of? Is this something that I'm, that I'm drifting into? Is this something that I could, uh, that I could find myself falling into um, and how can I shore things up in my own life, in my own ministry, amongst my own team, in order to uh, serve more faithfully in this area? So that's, that's my hope for our time today. Um, we've got a pretty small group in here, which is great, uh, because I, I want to engage in some discussion as we go along. Um, so um, my tendency is just going to be to talk. I, I just I like to talk. I talk a lot. Um, and so it if I'm saying something and, and you want to just interject, feel free to. Um, you can raise your hand if you want. Like, we're not kids. This isn't a classroom. Uh, you don't need to. Um, we, we could just have a conversation. So um, 
feel free to jump in, raise your hand if you're more comfortable doing that. I'll try to ask questions and hear kind of what's going on in, in your lives, in your ministry, in your, your church, your youth group, and uh, maybe we can help each other out through some of these things, all right? Cool. Um, so let's, let's just jump in. Five potential pitfalls for youth ministry. Um, the first one, and maybe the most important one of the whole bunch is this, that the, the, the first most important pitfall for us to look out for is neglecting our personal holiness. Uh, for for the, the youth minister, the, the full-time youth pastor, part-time youth volunteer, whatever it is, um, the, the biggest pitfall, the biggest stumbling block in terms of our ministry effectiveness is when we neglect our personal holiness. Simply put, if we are going to be a discipler, we need to first be a disciple. If we are going to, to lead others and point others towards Christ, we first need to orient ourselves towards Christ. I think of, of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.11 when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, that's not Paul pretending to be perfect, right? That's not Paul saying that he he's never sins or he never screws up or, or he never does anything wrong. But that's Paul who can confidently say to the church in Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because Paul has kept a close guard on his heart. Paul has been, has been careful to care for his own soul. And while he's not perfect and he's not sinless, he's not Christ, he knows that his life is oriented towards the worship and service of Christ. And so he can say, not do as I say and not as I do, but he can say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to be moving in the right direction. And if you follow behind me and we go this way, I know that I'm pointing you towards the cross. He does that not just by his words, but by his example, by his life. But sometimes for us in, in ministry, we don't. We, we can neglect our personal holiness because the demands of ministry are heavy. They're hard. Ministry is busy, especially youth ministry. I think a, a lot of, a lot of uh, people, even in ministry, who haven't done youth ministry specifically, they don't realize what your guys' calendars look like. They don't realize if you're, if you're a youth pastor over junior high and high school, then you probably have something going on on Sunday morning. You might have something going on on Sunday night. You've got junior high small groups on Tuesday, and then um, high school small groups on Thursday. You've got your Wednesday night midweek. You've got an event on Friday night after the football game. You've got um, a, a month from now, you've got an, an all-nighter, and then next month you've got winter camp. And then after that, you're, you're going to be you know, going to graduations. And, then, and they don't realize how packed a youth ministry calendar can become and how quickly that calendar can become that packed. And so we get caught up in all of this, like running, 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 going, 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 put it on the next event, the, the next um, youth group night, the, the next small group, the next whatever, and we're constantly on that grind. And in the midst of that, our own personal walk with the Lord becomes completely dry. And not even just dry, but completely neglected. It's not even just that we're, we're reading our Bible and we're staying in the Word and we're staying disciplined and, and we're going before the Lord in prayer and, and it just isn't you know, kind of having that spark that it did, but it's that we stop reading our Bibles altogether. 
We only, we only open it up when we're preparing a message for Wednesday night, or um, we're only going before the Lord in prayer when we're doing it with, with our small group of, of high schoolers, or, or we're only doing it with our, with our leaders before a, an event or, or something like that. We're not actually seeking God in our own personal lives. It can be so easy to fall into, but um, I think we need to realize the weight and the importance of this. You can't give what you don't have. You can't pour out what's not already in. And, and so we need to be diligent, not just for the sake of our own souls, though that's of course important, but for the sake of the souls of the students that have been entrusted to us, we need to be diligent to care for our personal holiness and our relationship with Christ. What does that mean? It means that we need to be accountable. We need to be accountable to someone else. Your, your spouse, your husband or wife, your um, senior pastor, your, your supervisor, even just your, your friends. You, you need to be accountable to someone. There needs to be someone who is speaking into your life and who is asking you, how are you doing? What, what's, what's the state of your soul? That thing that, that happened in your life, that loss, that came, how, how are you processing through that? Are you in the word? What's God teaching you? You need to have someone in your life who's walking through those things with you, who's asking those questions. You need to have someone who's, who you're accountable to in, in terms of your, your purity, your holiness. Um, but you also, you need to find someone who will disciple you, someone who, who will mentor you. And when I say mentor you, I don't mean just someone who's going to teach you to be, you know, a better youth worker, a better pastor, I'm not talking about at a professional level. I'm talking about in life. You need someone who's going to disciple you. You need a, a saint, a man or a woman of God who's a little further along than you, who's going to commit to walking through life with you and pointing you towards Christ, that you may follow them as they follow Christ, and your students may follow you as you follow Christ. You, you, you need that in your life. And I, I can think back to um, so much of my life in ministry where I simply didn't have it. it was smaller churches, um, churches maybe that didn't have, um, I'm, I'm, saying that, I'm not saying that this is all smaller churches by any stretch, but the churches I was at, they, there just weren't a lot of men there who um, were, were solid, mature, um, older believers. Uh, they, there weren't, there weren't a, lot of, a lot of men who um, were at a place themselves where they could speak into my life and, and, and lead me, and so I, I'm there trying to, to lead others, and there's no one who's pouring into me. Um, by God's grace, the church I'm at now, I have a, a senior pastor who I have nothing but love and respect for, and he and his wife, it's such a, a, a sweet relationship that my wife and I have with them as they um, kind of just mentor and disciple us, and it, it is, I would say, for, for my own personal walk, the most vibrant time I've ever had in ministry, because there is this couple that knows us and loves us and cares for us and, you know, is... 30 years older than us and has raised seven God-fearing kids and they, they, they know the word and they love Christ and they love his church and they love us and just the change of having them in my life and in my wife's life for our ministry has been monumental because there's someone who's pouring into us and who's leading us and who's pastoring us as we do the same for, for our students. Um, so, um, is there a no? Okay. 
Um, so be accountable, be mentored, find someone who's going to challenge you, stay disciplined, make time to be alone with God. As it says in Proverbs 4, 23, keep a careful watch on your heart. Keep a careful watch on your heart. Dedicate yourself to the work of self-assessment. How am I doing? How am I doing in, in my disciplines? How am I doing in my walk with the Lord? Where's my heart at? What things are starting to, to maybe pull me to or fro? What kind of influences am I allowing into my life that's changing the way that I think and the way that I feel and the way that I process things? Am I being discipled by the word of God and by the people of God? Or am I being discipled by um, podcasts or discipled um, by modern media or discipled by, you know, my non-Christian friends are discipled by the busyness of life. What is, who is discipling me? Keep a careful watch on your heart. Um, I think it's important as we talk about this, this idea of neglecting personal holiness, to acknowledge that ministry does require sacrifice, right? I, I mentioned this morning, kind of my, my last word in the Q&A was like, yeah, it's hard, it can be really hard emotionally. It can be a huge demand on your time, absolutely. It can be demanding spiritually when you see students who you've poured so much into just walk away from the faith or just do something. You're like, dude, that's so dumb. What are you doing? And I know that the pain and the turmoil and the difficulty of that, um, ministry does require sacrifice. Um, Paul even mentions this. As he's, as he's writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he says, he says, I am glad to spend and be spent for your sake. And I love that because the church in Corinth is like the problem child, right? The church in Corinth is, is, is that one kid that you have in youth ministry that when they don't show up on a Wednesday night, you're like, oh, God. You know what I'm talking That's what the church in Corinth is. They, they, are, they are Paul's problem child, yet still in that letter to Corinthians, I am glad to spend and be spent for your sake. To give of everything I have and everything that I am, why? For your sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake that you might come to know and follow and love and adore Christ. And so we are called to spend and be spent for the sake of our students, for the sake of ministry, but God does not call us to sacrifice the care of our own soul for our ministries. He calls us to give. He calls us to as it says in Ephesians, in humility, count others as more significant than ourselves, to, to lay down our life for others, the same way that Christ laid down his life for us, right, who being in the very form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're called to that kind of others-focused, others-serving humility. We are called to spend and be spent for our students, but that does not mean that we're called to neglect our own love of God, our own discipline before him, our own holiness. We're not called to neglect that or to sacrifice that on the altar of ministry because we are called first and foremost to be disciples. And then we're called as pastors or teachers or youth workers or whatever else. But that calling to be disciples is primary. So we're not called to sacrifice that, that care of our own soul in order to do the work of ministry. And so I would just say, if you are in a place right now, if you're in a church that is asking you to do that, um, 
then what you need to realize is that you answer to a higher authority than your senior pastor. If you're in a church that is actively calling you to neglect the care of your soul for the work of ministry, then I think the first thing you need to do is you need to make that known. Because I think oftentimes um, people outside of youth ministry don't realize the grind that youth ministry can be. Like I said, they don't realize what your schedules are. I think if you're in a place where you're going, man, I just feel so ground up. I'm just completely running all the time on this thing, and I, 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 I don't have time to care for my soul or for my marriage or for my family. I don't, I don't have time to do those things. The first thing you need to do is you need to go to whoever's in authority over you at the church, senior pastor, elders, whatever it is, and you need to say, look, this is not working. I need to care for my soul, and I need to care for my family. Um, and if they go, no, you need to keep doing all these things at this pace, that goes to the question before about how do I know when it's time to look for another job? Um, so you answer to a higher power on that. The first pitfall, neglecting your personal holiness. Don't do it. Next pitfall. Um, this one is easy. We fall into it very, very easily because it's natural. Uh, and that is running your youth ministry as a parachurch organization. Running your youth ministry as a parachurch organization. What do I mean? A parachurch organization that is, you know, something like Hume Lake, right? Something that serves the church, but it's not the church. It's not connected to any church. There's no denomination, no church that runs Hume. Um, you know, campus Bible clubs, uh, university fellowships, things like that. These are parachurch ministries, but oftentimes our youth ministries begin to look an awful lot like parachurch ministries. Our youth ministries develop into the youth ministry ghetto, right? Where it's separated from the larger body of the church. I think it's in uh, Family Ministry Field Guide by Timothy Paul Jones. He uses this, uh, this uh, image of, he calls it the one-eared Mickey Mouse. So you have the church itself, right? And then kind of off here to the side, just not completely separate, but like just barely attached to this separate circle that is the youth ministry. And so it's like, yes, you're a part of the church, but there's so much distance and there's so much uh, disunity at some level between the youth ministry and the church itself that it's not really part of the church, not in any significant way. It's more a parachurch ministry that's doing good work, sure. It's funded by the church, yes. But how much are your students really a part of the larger body of your church? How much are your students really a part of the larger body of your church? Listen, your students need the church. They don't just need youth group. They need the church, not just youth group. Why? Well, first of all, because they're going to graduate from youth group someday. I remember um, when I was in Bakersfield serving as a youth pastor there, we were running a one-eared Mickey Mouse model. Uh, we were running a, a youth group that was completely separated from um, from the, the larger body of the church. And so then what would happen is when students would graduate high school, one of two things would happen. They would kind of hang around the youth group as like a leader, but they weren't actually leading. They were just kind of like there in this like suspended adolescence for a while before they went off and, you know, found a new church. Or two, they graduated youth group, they graduated church, we never saw them again. Neither of those options is a good thing. Neither of those options is healthy, either for the student or for the church. So how do we mitigate that? Well, we make sure that our youth group is operating as a part of the church, not as some appendage that's just attached to it. Maybe, by, maybe because we use a room on the church campus, or maybe we're attached to it by budget. 
but it isn't actually attached to it in a real, deep, intrinsic way. So your students need the church because they're going to graduate from youth group, and they still need to be discipled. They need the church because the church matters to Christ. The church matters to Christ. Acts 20 says that he died for his church. Matthew 16 says that he promised to build his church. Colossians 1 tells us that he rules over his church. The church matters to Christ, so it ought to matter to you and it ought to matter to me. And if the church matters to us, not just our youth group, not just our ministry, the church matters to us and our students matter to us, then we are going to care that our students are a part of the larger body of the church. Your students, if they are in Christ, if they've trusted in Christ, if they're indwelled by the Spirit of God, then they are part of the body of Christ today. And because of that, their spiritual health depends on the body of Christ. We see this throughout Scripture, the idea that the the spiritual health of the believer depends on their participation in the body of Christ. We see it in places like Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, says this, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul goes into um, this full-throated exhortation to the church in Ephesus towards unity, and he talks about how they should be unified, one spirit, one body, one baptism, one God, one Father. And then immediately after that, he goes, that you may be brought up into mature manhood, no longer thrown, thrown to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Those two are tied. They're tied together. It is our participation in that one body of the church that allows us to grow up into mature Christianity, mature faith, that we might stand firm in the midst of a world that is filled with falsehood, with evil, and with faulty doctrine. And so if you want your students to grow up into that, they need to be a part of the church, not just a part of the youth group. They need the church, but even beyond that, the church needs them. The church needs them. In that same passage in Ephesians 4, before he talks about the unity of the church, he, he talks about the different roles in the church. He says God has given us um, uh, apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors. Why? That we may all be built up into unity. All built, built up into unity and maturity and stand firm in the faith. The church needs every piece. The body needs every finger in order to be functioning as well as it can be. Your church, in order for it to be as healthy as it can be, it needs your students to be participating in the body. Because if they're filled with the Spirit of God, they're given a gift by that Spirit of God to be used for the edification of the body of Christ. And if you have a whole segment of the body that's not participating in the larger whole because they're off here and they're doing their youth group thing while church is going on in the other place, you have a dysfunctional body. You have a body that is not functioning as it was designed. One of my favorite verses that I think speaks to this is in, it's in Proverbs. Um, it's Proverbs twenty twenty nine, and what it says is that the glory of the young man is his strength, but the glory of the old man is his gray hair. And the reason I love that is that I always, I always say that to students. I go, look, you know what you have? You don't have wisdom. You don't have knowledge. You, you you don't, you, you're not going to get up behind the pulpit and preach on a Sunday morning because you shouldn't because you're 17. But you know what you do have? You've got time. 
You've got energy. You've got strength. You can move a table like no 70-year-old man I've ever seen, right? Because that's how the body is designed. We need the, the young men with strength, and we need the old men with gray hair. And they need to know each other, and they need to love each other, and they need to point each other towards Christ, and they need to do the ministry, the work of ministry, alongside each other. I said this one's hard, and this one is one that's so easy to fall into because the natural way that we build friendships and build relationships is what? It's shared interest. It's shared experience. It's people in our life stage. That's who we get along with most easily. And the church is supposed to be something radical. It's supposed to be something unnatural, something different. Supposed to be a place where the old man and the young man are united, not by shared interest, not because they love the same movies or the same music, or they have the same knowledge of, you know, whatever weird hobby. But they're united by the Spirit of God that lives in both of them, and they're united to do the work of ministry to proclaim the same gospel that both of, both of them have been saved by, that others might come into that unity through the Spirit of God, and through the gospel of Christ. And so, um, how do we fight against the one-eared Mickey Mouse? Well, first, we involve the church in the ministry, and we involve, we involve the church in the youth ministry, and we involve the youth ministry in the broader life of the church. One of the greatest keys to doing this is service. It's service. One of the easiest ways to get students alongside the older saints in your church is to have them serve together. Serve together in the church. Encourage your students to, to participate in serving in the children's ministry at your church. Have, have some, some of your high schoolers serving in the nursery alongside the old ladies holding the little babies. And you have a picture right there of three generations of the church serving together. And as they hold those babies and they change those diapers, they're going to start those conversations that build those relationships, that build the unity and the functioning body of Christ. Start with service. And then invite your church to be a part of your youth ministry. Not just, so often what happens in youth ministry is people think the only ones who can be involved in youth ministry are the cool, like, hip 20-somethings who can sit there and, like, you know, know all the apps and all the slang and they can be cool and the, the kids can, no. You need the, the ones who aren't cool. You need the ones who are the age, the age of your students' moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. You need them involved in your youth ministry. And they might be intimidated to jump in as like a youth leader. That's not going to be the, the guy. I mean, occasionally one of my favorite things at camp is when you get the, like the 70-year-old counselor who's just like going crazy and like, you know, they're, they're eating whatever out of a blender. And, you know, occasionally you'll get that. That's not normal, all right? But, but you need those guys and you also need the, the normal old guys, they might be intimidated to jump in, but if you say, hey, I just want you to come and just hang out. I want you to come to our small groups for a little while and, and just start to build those relationships slowly. Just putting the invite out to, to some people in your church to come and see what we do on a Wednesday night. Come and, and see what our, what our youth ministry time looks like. Get your senior pastor to come and preach to your youth ministry. One thing that we've done at our church that's been so fun is we do occasionally pastor Q&As at our high school group. So our entire pastoral staff will come out. Um, my, myself, like I said, I'm the children's pastor. I have some oversight over children's, uh, over children's and youth, but, but our guys even who have nothing to do with, with that, they'll come out and as they are there, we'll just get up and we'll just answer all kinds of questions from the high schoolers. And it's a, a great kind of relational time. We hang out before and after and, uh, 
and it's a sweet time just to kind of bring our pastoral staff in with the the high schoolers and let them see us and get to know us and um, it's little things like that um, service inviting uh, a huge one for this is intergenerational missions trips or other service projects uh, some of the sweetest relationships I've seen uh, between Older saints and younger saints have been things that have started by them serving together in a short-term missions context. This summer, I took a trip with uh, a number of people from our church to New Zealand, uh, which was sweet. We went to Hobbiton, my home, and um, we. Uh, but but part of that in serving there is we had a couple high schoolers who were with us, and we had um, like I, one lady. Her name's Shirlene. She's in her mid seventies. She's a widow, uh, and she was sorry. She's She's not real. She's divorced, actually. Um, but anyway, this this single lady in her 70s um, and these high schoolers, uh, and they're serving together side by side for two weeks. And it's still such a blessing to me that I see at church those high schoolers going over and giving her a hug, saying, Mr. Lee, it's so good to eat. She doesn't serve in the youth ministry, but there were those relationships that were built and brought those high schoolers into the broader body of our church. Um, and then the last one, uh, don't program against your church. Um, I, I might step on some toes with this, but uh, don't incentivize students missing out on corporate worship. Um, the body of Christ gathered together on Sunday morning to praise God, to sit under the teaching of his word, to lift up his name in prayer and in praise and in worship through music together, that is a, a sacred and a beautiful thing that is given to us as a gift by the Lord. Don't tell your students there's something better to do down the hallway in the youth room during that time. Have them in service with the body. It's where they belong if they're a part of the body. Um, all right. Any, any questions on that? Anything you guys have done that you've seen help with this? Because I, I know we all kind of feel this tension maybe at different levels depending on what our, what our backgrounds are, what our, our church's structures are and things like that. But I'd be interested just for my own, like what, what have you done that you've seen that's worked in helping your students to, um, to fold into the, the broader life of the church? My encouragement would be if that's taking place during the, the time of the worship service, um, my encouragement would be find another time for it. Um, so now, many of us have multiple services, right? And so maybe the youth go to youth service and then they go to big church or, you know, whatever. Um, but I would say if you're making it, not even making it easy, but if you are incentivizing students never sitting in big church, uh, which is you know, probably what we all call it. It sounds silly, but that's what we call it. If you're, if you're incentivizing students to never sit in big church, I think you are doing them a disservice, and I think you're doing your church a disservice as well. That's why I said I might be stepping on some toes with it, but, but I, I genuinely think that's true. That's awesome, yeah. Right. 
and they're, they're being a part of the service, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, like, I, you know, I mentioned children's ministry. That's a huge place where, where students could be serving. But, like, let's be honest. I think especially with, like, your, a lot of your high school guys, do you want them in the children's ministry? Because as a children's pastor, I don't, right? And so there's some of them who are great, but some of them who aren't. And often those who aren't, that's a sweet place for them to be serving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. It's excellent. Sweet. And each month is focused on our leadership skills um, and it impacted the entire uh, scripture. And each uh, Sunday we spend time in scripture uh, doing a scripture application on spiritual parenting mm-hmm. um, and then applying that to whatever leadership skill that they're learning for the month. And at the end of the month they learn to you know, pass down that leadership skill. But one requirement that they are asked is to one, to commit to the nine months. So to service, regular activities, yep. um, monthly activities, things like that, because they're, they're part of the leadership program. Yeah. Um, and uh, they are also asked to essentially attend one in service. So they, That's awesome. They serve in another ministry in the church right. uh, during, that, during that program. And it's free, obviously, for them. That's awesome. Yeah, that's super encouraging. I think I, I always, I love to hear things like that, because I feel like oftentimes with youth ministry, like, we, we're so hesitant to ask anything of students. We want to just make everything as easy as possible where, you know, they sign up for football. It's like, no, you're going to be here for, you know, four hours a day, five days a week, and you're going to practice all through the summer. And, you're, and it's like, if football can ask that of them, we, we can ask a little commitment sometimes, yeah. you know? We're worried it was going to be on the day like 2007. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. That's encouraging. And so, like, um, essentially, they had some values and stuff that they uh, under the entire thing, uh, food as well, daily activities, um, worship at the end, like all on their own. Mm-hmm. And the leaders were just very, you know, not super involved in trying to make everything easy. There were boundaries, yeah. right? Got to have guardrails. Yeah. That's sweet. Let's move on. Let's talk about um, number three. Pitfall number three, this one kind of goes hand in hand with what we just talked about, but um, pitfall number three is ignoring parents. Ignoring parents. This is another one that's easy to do, especially, I think, for young youth workers. I know when I was uh, in college and doing youth ministry, it was really tempting to just kind of not have much to do with parents because, frankly, they intimidated me, right? Um, and uh, But here's the reality. Parents shouldn't be ignored in our ministry, parents shouldn't even be a, a secondary afterthought of our ministry because parents are our ministry. Um, parents are your ministry. Parents are the primary disciple makers in the life of a student. Um, one, one passage I always go to on this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, so Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's a familiar passage, I think, for most of us um, because it's the Shema. Um, it's what Jesus says summarizes the, the law and the prophets. 
Um, so Deuteronomy 6, 5, or I'll start in 4, I guess. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them as you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And he goes on explaining more of how this uh, command is to be transmitted. But I think it's so significant that this is what Jesus calls the greatest commandment of the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. The most important commandment in, in all of Scripture. And the primary means by which this commandment is going to be transmitted is you shall teach this to your children. It's that parents should teach this to their children. Parents are set up in Scripture consistently as the primary disciplers of kids. It is the parent's job primarily to disciple their children. So what does that mean for us as youth workers? What does that mean for for us as, as youth pastors? Well, it means that our job is to partner with parents in that discipleship that they have been tasked with. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Those saints are the parents. The work of ministry is the discipleship of their children. So we partner with them in that discipleship. We don't ignore parents. We don't say, hey, don't worry. I've got it. I'll take it from here. We partner with them. We pull them in as much as we can. That's not always easy to do, right? There's some parents who you're, you're trying to drag in, some parents who, who aren't believers, and, and you can't partner with them in discipleship because they're not disciples themselves, right? But, but generally, when we're talking about parents who are, who are believing parents, especially parents who are members of our church, uh, we need to be partnering with them rather than doing the ministry and ignoring those parents. How do we start? You start by getting to know the parents in your ministry. Get to know the parents of your students. Whether they're uh, believers or not, make an effort to get to know them. Get to know their names. Um, again, I know it's easier with some than others. I know especially when you get into high school, you have kids who show up and then they leave and that's all you got. And I, I know sometimes this is impossible, but many times, oftentimes, most times it's not. We're just not efforting it. And so um, start by getting to know those parents. Be open and consistent in your communication. Parents should always at least be able to know what's going on in youth ministry. And I say at least be able to know because I send out emails every single week to all the parents of my ministry, and I still have people going, what are you guys talking about today? It's like, I sent sent the email. I know you're on the list, right? So you can only communicate as much as you can communicate, but you need to make that effort as much as you can. Um, be open and consistent in communication. Um, when you have the chance, you need to encourage and exhort parents to take this seriously. Um, I know some of you, probably from time to time, you have a chance to, to speak in, in big church. Maybe you have a chance to uh, even get in the, the ear of your senior pastor and say, hey, we really need to be calling parents to disciple their kids. Um, so, so exhort them as you can and as you're able uh, take that very seriously, that they might take it very seriously. And don't be afraid to, to offer some training. To offer training. See, not many of you, I'm, I'm going to guess, are parents of teenagers yourself. And so at some level, you feel like, how am I supposed to train a, a parent of a teenager? How am I supposed to? But the reality is, most of your parents in your youth ministry have never parented teenagers before. 
They're as inexperienced in it as you are. In fact, they're more inexperienced in it because you spend day in, day out with teenagers. So there's a lot that you have to offer and a lot that you can walk them through. Specifically, I, I've been talking with our, our high school um, pastor, and he's putting together something in January that we're going to be doing for students in our high school group, in our junior high group, and then also in our like fifth and sixth grade group. Um, we're going to be doing it for parents of those age groups, and it's just basically talking through um, parenting in a social media world. So, so what does it look like to um, talk about issues of, of purity and peer pressure and fear of man and um, all of those kinds of things when, when your student has a smartphone, right? And so we're going to be talking through those things because the reality is a lot of you guys grew up, were teenagers, were maybe in college or whatever in the era of the smartphone. But you know what? The parents of your students, they weren't. So this is all kind of a, a new thing to them. You have something you can offer and something that most of them realize I'm in out of my depth here, and I, and I don't know how to walk through this. So offer those trainings. Spend the time. Put it together and train the parents. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, we'll keep going because we don't have too much time left. Uh, number four, the fourth uh, potential pitfall in youth ministry is this. Building your ministry around your personality, building your ministry around your personality, or maybe another way to say that is building your ministry around yourself. Um, the average tenure of a youth pastor, depending on who you ask or what study you look, la- look at, um, the average tenure of a youth pastor is somewhere between 18 months and three years. What does that mean? Well, it means that in all likelihood, you will not be serving in the capacity you're serving in at the church where you are serving five years from now. You might be, you know, you have those, those outliers, you have those youth pastors who stay in the same place for decades at a time and praise God for them, but chances are you won't. And that's not a bad thing. I feel like a lot of time people go, man, people just use youth ministry as a stepping stone and they just want to go off and do, you know, they want to be a senior pastor and so they're going to be a youth pa-. And it's like, well, would you expect a 19-year-old college student to be a senior pastor? Like, what do you want them to do in the meantime? So I don't think there's anything wrong with that, um, but we need to realize the reality of it, and we need to be careful and diligent in the way that we build structures in our ministry, and the way that we raise up young leaders, and the way that we hand off parts of the ministry. We need to be cognizant of the fact that you probably will not be serving in your same role five years from now. So how are you going to future-proof your ministry and not build it with a very U-shaped hole left in the middle when you move on to the next thing. Um, I think of Paul's advice to Titus in Titus 1, uh, right after he gets through the, the introduction and, and kind of the, the addressing of the letter. In Titus 1, 5, the, the very first thing he says to this young pastor um, He says, you are to, whatever, I'll find it later. Uh, He says, you're to put in order the things there in Crete. He says, and appoint for yourself elders. So the first first advice that Paul, the, uh, the mentor here, is giving to Titus, this young pastor, is, hey, find other people to do ministry alongside you. That's step one. 
find other people, qualified men, to set in as elders to do ministry alongside you. It's the same for us. Always be looking for how you can train up others, hand off ministry, because it's not your kingdom that you're tasked with building. It's Christ's. And so be diligent to build things, to build structures, to mentor, to train in such a way that when you leave, if you leave, um, the ministry thrives without you instead of crumbling without you. If you're carrying it all on your back, then when you're gone, it's all going to cave in. And you might not have a lot of say on when that going is. All right, let's look at the last one here. Uh, pitfall number five is this, prioritizing anything at all above God's word. Prioritizing anything at all above God's word. Youth ministry is full of all kinds of things. Camps and games and events and trips and midweeks and campus clubs and small groups and you name it. You have a thousand things going on and all of those things can be very, very good things. All of those things can be super beneficial. I, I, I'm not one who says that, um, you know, fog and laser lights mean that you can't share the word of God. That's, that's not the case at all. Hume is a, is a great example of that, right? This is a place that, that does things big, right? You see the opener and it, it's something spectacular. It's over the top. It's a little crazy, but it's never done at the expense of the clarity of the word of God. It's never done at the expense of God's word being preached clearly, powerfully, and at appropriate length. Um, given time to rightly divide the word of God and to apply it to the lives of students. All of those other things can be good, but it can be so easy in the midst of them to lose focus on the preaching of the word of God, even in the way that we manage our time, in the way that, that we prepare. It is a sweet, sweet thing to have all kinds of events going on in your ministry, to, to be sitting down over coffee with multiple students throughout the week, but listen, if you're spending all of your time as a, as a pastor, all of your time in um, you know, grabbing coffee with students, and then you come to step into the pulpit on a Wednesday night or, or whatever it is, and you've not prepared, you haven't sat down with the word of God, you've not opened it and, and prayed over it and, and spent time digging into to the, the structure and the language and the meaning and the flow of the argument and the context, you haven't done that because you've been so busy doing all of the other things of ministry. You're missing something. You need to hand some of those other things off, right? You're putting too much on your shoulders, and so often what becomes neglected is the, the clear and powerful teaching of God's word. And when you do that, you're doing a disservice to your students, doing a disservice to your students because your students are in desperate need of the word of God. They're in desperate need of the word of God that is living and active, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that pierces to the vision of soul and spirit. They're in desperate need of the word of God that is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and godliness. They're in desperate need of the word of God that it might be hidden in their hearts. Why? That they might not sin against God. They are in desperate need of the bread of life that is able to make them wise for salvation. 
Your students need that more than they need a really interesting, really fun, really creative, really memorable game. Your students need that more than they need a perfectly tuned, incredible sounding worship band. Your students need that more than they need a a tear-filled small group. Your students need the word of God rightly divided, clearly preached, clearly applied to their lives because it is the word of God by which God saves his people. And whether you're the one in the pulpit or whether you're the the, the leader in the small group or, or whether you're getting coffee with the student, whatever it is, be sure that your priority in every single one of those areas is to share the word of God with that student. Season your speech with God's word. The students hear God's word, whether they're sitting and listening to the preaching, which is incredibly important, or whether they're simply walking through life in relationship with you. Be the kind of person so filled with God's word that it spills out of you and it comes out in your language that you may say, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power in our lives and in the lives of our students. God, I pray for the men and women in this room. I pray for myself as well. I pray that we would not fall into any of these pitfalls, that we would not neglect our holiness, that we would not function apart from the greater body of Christ, that we would not ignore the parents who you've put in the lives of our students to disciple them, We would not build ministry around ourselves or or our own gifting. And God, that we would not put anything ahead of your word in our ministries. But I pray that we would be people who are beholden to the word of God, who are committed to share that word with students day in and day out. People who love your word, who love you, who are so overcome with the love for you that it pours out of us in every area of our lives and chiefly in our ministry. Father, please preserve us. Keep us safe from sin. God, keep us qualified for ministry. Give us a hunger for you. Give us a thirst for your word. God, help us to lead the students that you have entrusted to us well, to care for the families that you've put in our charge, to care for them well, and to do it all to the glory of your name. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.